to see all of you today. And, uh, you know, when you're away and you get some time to think and rest and just kind of settle, um, you, you start realizing what God has put on your heart more than any single thing. Now, as a preacher and as a teacher, I can tell you, I have always preached or taught only what God has put on my heart. I mean, that's how I know. There, there have been a thousand times I've sat like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and said, okay, Lord, here comes Sunday. What am I going to preach? And he will say to me, what, what have I put on your heart? Now, that said, I want to talk to you today about your worldview. Your worldview. I'm going to tell you what a worldview is. Don't let that throw you, but I'm going to tell you what a worldview is. And I want to talk to you for the next few weeks. I'm going to talk about your worldview. Because if you were to say to me, Jeff, what do you think is the most crucial need in today's church? I would say the most crucial need in today's church is to have a biblical world view. That's what I would say. To me, as I scan the church horizon and read articles and keep up on what's going on in the church uh, nationwide and worldwide, it's very clear to me that the church is in trouble because the church does not have a biblical worldview. The church doesn't understand uh, that concept. And so I'm going to bring it to you, and I'm going to open up today with a verse um, that really illustrates a worldview, a biblical worldview. It's Hebrews 11.3. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. And let me just read this one verse where a, a great biblical worldview is revealed. Are you ready? The writer says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. Catch that. The things we see were made by things we can't see. Okay? So the entire universe, everything in it, you and me included, were made. We can see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, feel it. But it was made by what we cannot see because Jesus said, God is invisible. But invisible doesn't mean non-existent. Amen? So he, this verse illustrates a biblical worldview. Now I'm going to pray over it. And I'm going to pray over us today because I believe God's going to change us with this series. Listen, I really mean that. I believe God's going to wake some of us up. He's going to put a little fire under, under us and say, it's time for you to, to develop a biblical worldview and get out of this world. It's nasty and dirty, and we're to have a biblical worldview. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we just thank you today that, Lord, you have given us your word to renew our minds. You've given us our, your, your word so that we could be changed, so that our minds can be changed. Thank you for your salvation, Lord. But thank you for the ongoing work of sanctification after salvation where we are sanctified and set apart and our minds are renewed and we develop a biblical world view. Now I want you to pray with me, dear church, and those of you watching from home, welcome to this service. We love you right where you are and thank God you're a part of our family. But pray this with me, everybody pray. Say, Lord, change my mind. If I don't have a biblical worldview, give me one. Show me how to develop one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them you're going to be changed. Amen. Amen. Now, what's a worldview? Well, how's this for simple? A worldview is how you view the world. Now, if I had up here, and I used to have them, I couldn't find them, but I, I used to have a red, a pair of red lens sunglasses. Uh, I don't know where I got them. Somebody gave them to me. It makes me look like a hippie. But they're red-tinted sunglasses, red lens. Now, when I put on those red lens sunglasses, everything I see is red. I can't get away from it. No matter where I look or what I look at, I'm going to see it at, with a red tint. There is no way I'm going to see it blue or green or white or anything. I'm going to see it red because I'm looking through a red lens. So everything I see has a red tint. That's what your worldview does. Your worldview is the lens through which you view everything. That's your worldview. Now, I want you to notice how the writer sees the entire universe as being created by God. Amen. And he's right. It was created by God. But, but he, notice how that worldview, it says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed, constructed, put together, created by God, by things we cannot see. What we can see came from what we cannot see. Now, that's a worldview. He has an all-encompassing worldview. That view that God made everything is the lens through which he sees everything, including how the universe began. See, your worldview is so important. And I'm going to show you why as we go through this message. Notice the writer is not an evolutionist. He's not an evolutionist. He's not an atheist. He's not an agnostic. No, no. He's not undecided. I don't know where all this came from. That's not where he is. No, he's looking through the lens of a biblical worldview. So he sees everything. When he looks at the entire universe, he says, God made that. And that is profound. Can I tell you the most important verse in the entire Bible? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, it's John 3, 16. No, it's not. Although that's a great one, probably the most important one in the New Testament, but the entire Bible, the most important verse is Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God, not evolution, not blind chance, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Why is it the most important verse? Because if you can't accept that verse, the rest of the Bible is dead to you. Genesis 1-1 sets up the, the, sets the stage for the rest of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's what this writer is saying in verse 3. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's his world view. And you've got to start there. That's Genesis 1-1. Now, I want to talk to you today about the importance of your world view what a worldview is, and the two worldviews that we have an option of choosing. Because there's only two. There's only two worldviews you can have. Now, everybody listening to me right now has a worldview. Every one of you, you have a worldview. Uh, there's no way you're sitting in here or, or watching or listening on radio that you don't have a worldview. Whether or not we realize that we all have certain 
uh, presuppositions and beliefs that affect the way we view all of life and reality. Your worldview is the lens through which you see everything and the sifter through which you interpret everything. Your worldview answers questions like this. Is there a God? If so, what is he like? What is truth? Is it absolute and unchanging no matter what people wish or want? Or is it relative, like we're told today, and subject to change? Your worldview will answer that for you. Where did the universe come from? Did it come from evolution or did it come from God? Every person alive on the world has got to answer that question and your worldview will decide it. What is the meaning of life? Your worldview will answer that. Why am I here? Is there a reason for me to be here? Am I here by blind chance? Am I here by mistake? Am I here by some cold, calculating, apathetic, evolutionary process? Or am I created by a God who custom designed me for a purpose on this planet? Is there life after death? Your worldview will answer that. Are humans basically just smart apes with superior hygiene and fashion sense? Or is there more to us than that? Your worldview will answer that. Your worldview will, will take all stimuli that comes at you throughout the day, will be viewed through your worldview and interpreted through your worldview. Your worldview determines how you view and respond to issues like abortion, euthanasia, same-sex relationships, your morality, evolution, and almost any other hot-button topic of the day. Your worldview will decide your response and the conclusions you come to about those issues. Your worldview. And and here's here's the real important thing. Your worldview is the seedbed from which all your daily decisions are made. Your worldview is the pivot point from which you will make every decision you make. It will come out of it. It will spring from the seedbed of your worldview. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it good or is it bad? Is it of God or is it not of God? Your worldview. This is why it's so important. Your worldview will interpret all those things. You can be saved and live like the world because your mind hasn't been renewed. Listen carefully. We all behave in accordance with what we believe. You will never take an action that you don't believe something and that's why you're taking the action. We will all behave in accordance with what we believe and what we believe is reflected in our worldview. Now, there's only two worldviews available to us today. Here they are. It's very simple. Let me make it really simple. Here they are. A worldly worldview or a biblical worldview. Those are the only two you can have. A, A worldly worldview or a biblical worldview. Who has your ear? Who is speaking into your head? Who is teaching you about life and living and God and everything else? Is the Bible informing your mind or is the world informing your mind? Let me tell you what a worldly worldview is in a nutshell. It is when you think like, hold to the values of, 
and view the universe like an unbeliever. Yeah. A worldly worldview. And believe me, the world is doing everything in its power to train you to speak into your life and to get you to believe what it believes and have the values that it has. And this is my concern for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that a lot of people are saved. They're going to heaven. They got their ticket to fly. <clears throat> but their, their minds and their lifestyles are being informed by the world. And so they're living like the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world. Their lifestyle reflects more of the world than it does uh, Christianity. And, and I look at this and, I, and I'm seeing it all the time. I'm not talking about you. I read a lot. Some of you are going, it's not you. Uh, well, maybe you. But I'm just saying it's not exclusively you. But see, follow me now. You, you, you may be saved, but you don't see the world through the lens of Scripture. But you're seeing it through the lens of the unrenewed natural mind. Watch this, church. When you and I got saved, let me tell you what happened. When you got saved, you were born again. Everybody say born again. When you got born again, what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit came into your soul and quickened your spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins. And your spirit man, the inner core of you, the eternal part of you, was dead, as dead as dead can be. Necros is the Greek word, and that's the way you describe a dead body. Your inner man, your spirit man was as dead as dead can be. But when you said, Jesus, forgive me, he sent his spirit uh, to live inside of you and you were quickened. You hath he quickened, Paul wrote. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And our spirit man became alive. And we instantly, 100% were redeemed and born again. 100%. The work was done in a microsecond. But not up here. Not in your head, not in between your two ears. That needs to be renewed. Your thinking, your stinking thinking, my stinking thinking. We all got saved with stinking thinking. We had the world's values. We saw everything through the lens of what the world had taught us. And God wants to change that. God wants to renew that. So listen to what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 12. He said, don't be conformed to this world, pushed and shaped into the mold of this world in the way you think and in the way you live, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So notice, every believer, now he's writing to Christians here. He's not writing to the lost. He's writing to Christians. And he's telling Christians, you and me. He's saying, look, now that you're saved, don't let the world fit you into its mold. Don't think like the world anymore. Don't act like the world anymore. You're not of the world anymore. This world is not your home anymore. But he said, don't be conformed to it, but be transformed. How, how are you and I transformed? How do we grow in Christ? How do we grow into maturity? How do we walk like him, talk like him? How do we bring forth the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. How do we produce spiritual fruit? He tells us right here, by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. <sighs> that is how we are transformed. 
That is how we go from faith to faith and glory to glory when we change the way we think. See, God wants to, God wants to brainwash you. All right? Now, that's usually a, a negative word, but hey, all of us need our brains washed. Can I have an amen? Yeah, we, we need our brains washed. And, and God wants to brainwash our brains. How does he brainwash our brains? By the washing of water, by the word of God. That's how he washes our brains. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that means to develop a biblical worldview. Hear me again. When he says, don't be conformed to this world, don't have a worldly worldview, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, have a biblical worldview. Because the more I read the word of God, the more I see life and living and people and everything through the eyes of God and not through the eyes of my natural mind. See, the Bible shows us the way God sees everything. And that's the way we want to be. Uh, So notice with me that the more you develop a biblical worldview, the better you're going to understand and walk in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Did you catch that? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If ever I'm confused about God's will for me, I don't walk around and stay confused. I dive into the word of God. And I began to saturate my mind with the word of God because the word of God begins to crystallize and clarify for me what God's will is for me. See, if I want to know and walk in the good, acceptable and perfect will of God, I must first be transformed by the renewing of my mind. If you're wondering which way to turn, which way to go, right, left, straight, back, listen, get into the word of God. It'll renew your mind and you'll begin to think like God thinks and see things like God sees. Man, I just can't say this enough. If this was my last message on earth, this is what I would preach. Because this is the great need of the church. Let me give you a startling statistic. A recent Barna survey of 2,033 adults discovered that only 4% of Americans have a biblical perspective on life. 4% have a biblical worldview, and we wonder why America is being rocked and rolled by all kinds of trouble and rioting and hatred and division. 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview, but now, catch this one, only 9% of those that Barna surveyed out of 2,033 adults that called themselves Christians have a biblical worldview. 9%. Have a biblical worldview. Less than 10%. That means 91% don't look at life through the lens of Scripture. 91% makes me want to cry. You know what that means? That means that only a small minority of professing Christians hold to even six beliefs that characterize a biblical worldview. And here they are. Belief in the existence of absolute moral truth. That's one. God's moral truth does not change, bow, bend, break, or back down from any civilization, any culture, any person. God's moral truth stays his moral truth. It is a fixed moral truth. It never changes. Every gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no changing, no variableness of turning. He doesn't change. And neither does his absolute moral truth. Here's a second one. God is the basis of all truth. Where do you get your truth? I don't get it from any talk show. 
I don't get it from People Magazine. I don't get it from Oprah. I don't get it from Dr. Phil. I get my truth from the Word of God. And any book that I read that I accept as truth has got to be a book that is bowing to the truth of the greatest book, and that's the Bible. And if I don't get it from the Bible, it's not true. That's a biblical worldview. Third, if you have a biblical worldview, you believe that human beings were created by God, not evolution. Fourth, that he loves us unconditionally. Do you know that a lot of them, 91% of them, didn't believe that? That God loved them unconditionally? What is up with that? Where have they been going to church? Or have they been? Pray and worship regularly. That's what somebody with a biblical worldview does. And seek God's will for their lives. Those are six things, six things that 91% of Christians could not subscribe to, did not subscribe to. So today I want to begin a series, as I've already said, on uh, how do you get a biblical worldview? What does a biblical worldview look like? How can we develop it? And I want to just start today by giving you one thing And I think it's probably the best thing, the greatest thing as far as a biblical worldview. Here's the first thing you must adhere to. You must believe and embrace. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. If you have a biblical worldview, that is a non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He said, well, Jeff, that's easy. You're you're in church. Everybody believes that. Oh, do they really? Let me tell you. People with a worldly worldview don't embrace this crucial Bible truth. They do not embrace it, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We live in a day where believing that there is only one way to heaven is considered narrow-minded, anti-intellectual, non-inclusive, and even bigoted. If you go out there in our culture and you say, well, I believe there's only one way to heaven, Jesus Christ, nothing is going to get them to shut you down quicker than that statement. Are you aware that in the book of Acts, when when they arrested the apostles and brought them before them, they said to them, the one thing they demanded of them was you cannot go out and preach the resurrection of the dead in Jesus Christ. You can't go preach Jesus Christ. Say anything you want to, but don't preach Jesus Christ. That was... That was the demand back then, and folks, it's the the demand and the command now. Amen. Sonny had this mic on last week, and I can tell. I need to fix it. Sonny, your ears are not my ears. Now watch this now. I'm going to say it again. We live in a day where if you say there's one way, and church, if you've got a biblical worldview, that's part of it, that there is only one way to heaven, and it is by way of Jesus Christ. If you say that, if you believe that, the culture is going to reject you, persecute you, make fun of you, mock you, ostracize you, ridicule you, and, and consider you to be anti-intellectual, narrow-minded, and even bigoted. I read this week of a pastor of a 10,000-member congregation in the northeast part of the country who recently told his startled congregation, quote, if you believe that not believing in Jesus will send you to hell, that's insanity. You didn't catch that. He had 10,000 people out there, a major megachurch, and he said, 
recently, a couple of weeks ago, if you believe that not believing in Jesus will send you to hell, that's insanity. Then he went on to say, the key is whether you believe in God. And whatever your path is to God, I celebrate that. End quote. Well, when confronted with this heresy, he stated that his viewpoint is more inclusive and less divisive. So therefore, it's a better position than the clear teaching of Scripture. Do you see, he put a higher premium on being accepted and embraced by the culture than he did preaching the Word of God. So there you have a man standing in front of a mega church of 10,000 people telling them straight up that if you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, then that's insanity. But I want to tell you something. The only problem with his statement is he's dead wrong and he's viewing salvation through the lens of a worldly worldview. The worldview that says you've got to be inclusive. You can't offend. You can't, you can't uh, bug people with the message of the gospel. We just need to love everybody. And whatever way you want to get to heaven, that's all that really matters. God knows that you are sincere. But I want to tell you, he's sincerely wrong. And unfortunately, his preaching is going to help usher into hell thousands of people if they don't get him out of there. And if you're in a church like that, you need to run, not walk. Hit the door and never go back because that is false. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's a biblical worldview. And, and the problem is that this man's view, worldview, is increasingly popular in our culture. That's the view that you're to have. If you want to be in, if you want to be in, that's the view you're supposed to have. Rather than the one wayness of Jesus, our society preaches tolerance and believes in the equality of all religions, that no one is better than the other. Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, New Age, whatever you want to, whatever path you want to take to God, all are equal and equally able to get you to heaven. As the wrong-headed megachurch pastor said, whatever your path is to God, I celebrate that. I don't. If your path to God is not Christ, I'm going to be real honest with you. You're going to perish in your sin. You'll perish in your sin. I tell you by the authority of the word of God, if you don't turn to Christ for salvation from your sin, if you don't turn to Christ to get into heaven, if you don't ask him to wash your sin away, you're going to perish in your sin, and you're going to face God in judgment. I will never tell you whatever path you take is good as long as you grab a path, any old path. It's not any old path. It's one path, one way. Did you know the Bible predicts this would be the mindset of the world in the last days? The Bible says so. For instance, the book of Revelation predicts that the Antichrist, capital A, will join hands with what is described as a great harlot. Listen to what Revelation says. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the angels, or one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and spoke to me, saying, Come here, John. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. Now, the immorality he's speaking about is spiritual immorality, spiritual harlotry, turning to someone else instead of the real God, turning to a little G God instead of the big G God. And, and that's, that's 
immorality, spiritual immorality. And, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman, listen to the description of the woman, was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. So watch this. She's beautiful on the outside, corrupt on the inside. Verse 5, and on her forehead a name was written, uh, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman, watch this now, I saw this woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly, well, who is this great harlot? What is John talking about? I want everybody to perk up and listen because I believe this great harlot is forming right now. What is the great harlot? The great harlot described here is a last days false religious system, a fake church, if you will, a fake church that is impressive and beautiful on the outside. Adorned, John says, with gold and precious stones and pearls. She looks luxurious. She looks beautiful. She's attractive to the natural eye. But in her hand is a golden cup full of abominations and spiritual fornication. Spiritual fornication. And she clearly has persecuted the true church because John says she's drunk with the blood of the true saints of God. John calls her the mother of harlots. And of the abominations of the earth. Now, here's what this is telling us. Antichrist in the last days, in the tribulation period, will use this false religious system, this fake church. He will harness this fake church. This fake church will be led by what the Revelation calls the false prophet. And he will use this fake religious system uh, to convince the world that he's the answer to their problem. This fake religious system will make the will preach the Antichrist like we preach the real Christ. This fake church will preach the Antichrist, point to the Antichrist, uh, loud the Antichrist, uh, build up the Antichrist, and convince the world to follow the Antichrist. And one of the key marks of this false harlot church is that the message of the unique and exclusive saving blood of Jesus Christ is nowhere to be found. This fake church is what Paul described as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. This is the apostate church of the end times, all impressive on the outside, but knowing nothing of Jesus' salvation or of the necessity of turning to him to be redeemed and forgiven and to get away into heaven. They will not preach that. They will preach antichrist, not the Christ. So it is so important, everybody, that we preach and teach what God has put in our hands, the message of the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and, and that is the message of the word of God. There is no other. Listen to these verses. For Jesus, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 11. 
For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. If you're going to be saved, you must go through Jesus Christ, not Buddha, not Muhammad. Muhammad's not waiting at those gates with you, for you. Uh, he's not going to be your attorney when you face God. No, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus said of himself, you all know the verse. I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. And no man, no woman, no young person, no race, color, or creed will get to the Father but through me. That can't be any more clear. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The way where? The way to heaven. The truth about what? The truth about heaven. I'm the life. The life of what? The life of heaven. I'm spiritual life. I'm your life. I'm the life. And they... The chief priests and scribes, when they were grilling Jesus after he had been arrested, they said, okay, just end the drama. Are you the son of God then? And he said, yes, I am. I am the son of God. Yes, I am. And there's none other. There's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul wrote, there is one God and there is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Only one mediator. What does that mean? There's only one heavenly attorney that will stand by your side when you face God. And he will mediate for you. He will say, yeah, they did this, that, and the other, but you know what? They're covered in my blood. They accepted me. They embraced me. They turned to me. So all their sins are forgiven. And listen, that is good news because Jesus is the narrow road that leads to life. He's the only door that leads to glory. He's the great shepherd who alone can guide us through heaven's gate. He's the only one that holds the key to heaven's padlocks. The only one. And without him, we are forever lost. But with him, we are forever found. Amen. Can we stand together today? That's a biblical worldview. That's a biblical worldview. If you say, oh, Jeff, you know what? I like watching you sweat up there. You you say some good things, but uh, you know, I just can't go with that. If you can't go with that, I don't say this. This is not a Jeffism. If you can't go with that, Chances are you're lost. See, I was lost, as they see in East Texas, as a goose in a hailstorm. I was so lost. But I heard the gospel in juvenile home, 16 years old. I was going to hell. Oh, man, if I had died before I heard that gospel, I would have gone straight to hell justly so but I heard of a savior and his redemption and he's the only one and I turned to that attorney that advocate for me and he came into my heart but since then he's changed my mind transformed my mind renewed my mind so I want to encourage you today in closing go out with this question do I have a biblical worldview do I 
And be sure to come next week because I've just gotten started. I've just greased the skids today. I've got some great stuff I want to share with you in the next few weeks. I'm going to show you what a biblical worldview is. And we're going to learn to get one. A lot of you don't have victory because you don't have a biblical worldview. You're falling all the time because you don't have a biblical worldview. You say, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. You know, it's kind of getting to where everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's a Christian. Shazam. But then you say, you look at how they're living. You say, wait a minute, there's a disconnect here. Because you say you're saved, but, but apparently you don't have a biblical worldview because you're living in immorality. You know, you're hitting the bars, getting drunk. You're cussing like a sailor. Um, you're shacking up with somebody, not, not married. Well, yeah, we're married. We're married in the eyes of God. Really? We'll talk about that another Sunday. But newsflash, if you haven't been to the preacher and got a certificate and signed your life away to another person, you're not married. You just think you are. But that's a biblical worldview. See, if I think like the world, oh, yeah, 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 we're shacking up. And if it doesn't work, well, cool, we loved each other. That's a worldly worldview. A biblical worldview is you enter into covenant. Oh, I didn't mean to get off on this. But how many of you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm not judging anybody. I'm really not. I'm not. I'm not trying to make you regret you came to church. You ought to be real happy you came today because you learned about a biblical worldview. Because that will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, we just thank you today. That Jesus Christ, we know, is the only way to heaven. We thank you, Lord, for the Son of God who died and gave himself for us. With your heads bowed, if you can say, Jeff, as you were preaching, I realized that was not my conviction. But I do believe he's the only way to heaven. And I want to call on him and let him save my soul today. I would be terrified to go get in a car and drive away and get on I-35 if I was unsure about my salvation. We're going to pray today. If you need to pray with me to accept Christ in your heart, say, Lord, I believe you're the only way to heaven. You're the only way. Only you shed your blood for me. Then pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Go ahead and do it. Lord Jesus. I believe you died for me and rose again to redeem me from my sin, to forgive me and carry me from hell to heaven. Forgive me, Jesus, for all of my sins. I turn to you by faith. Just say this with me. Look right up at Jesus and say, I place my faith in you as my Savior. In Jesus' name.